Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's January 26th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House Barbie, and as always, I'm here with Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? Doing well, Matt. I'm super pumped to talk to you about two of our favorite topics. Mr. Oh, Avi yeah? Eisenberg, yes. <laughs> one, one incredible market manipulator. Uh, and also Portugal. We've got oh. an update, finally. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. I've been I've been eagerly waiting an update from the uh, the beautiful country of Portugal. I'm sure I'm sure it's <laughs> going to be interesting. Interesting. Oh message. my gosh! I know that you say that with total resentment as you sit there in Drury, London. <laughs> it's literally it's literally hammering down with rain as we speak right now. Oh. So yeah, it's gray, <laughs> miserable as usual. So you know. I'm sure. I'm sure it's nice and uh, great weather in Portugal. I'm de- I'm delighted for everyone over there, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's jump into our first story of the day. There's been a lot of fear, anxiety around Binance since the FTX crash. We've had a lot of crypto Twitter. We're coming out with wild theories around could it be Binance next and is is there some underlying issues there? And largely, CZ and the rest of the Binance team have done their best to massage any concerns. Well, Binance has just admitted that it actually commingled customer funds with token reserves. This is always something that's very alarming to hear. And I think coming from Binance, the largest exchange in the world, is even more concerning. Now, I want to give a little bit of context here. So they've come out and they've admitted that they've made an error where they failed to keep backing for a dozen of tokens that are issued on the BNB chain separate. And instead, they commingled it in with their customers' funds. They they describe they describe this as I quote historical operational oversights in a uh, in an article published on Bloomberg, but have reassured everyone that it's being fixed, it's being sorted. So the TLDR here is they've admitted that it's stored their customer funds in the same wallet as the one that contains the collateral for their B tokens. So these are tokens that are issued by Binance on the BNB. Uh, chain, for example, BUSD, BBTC, I think there's a BETH and a whole bunch of other uh, Binance issued tokens. They they did say that they'd always had the required reserves to back the tokens though, but it is kind of a bit of a take our word for it. This was just a, an operational issue. But, <clears throat> you know, this comes shortly after the news that Binance's BUSD stablecoin had not always been backed one-to-one like Binance had claimed. And I think this has been even more alarming. You put these two together and it gets somewhat worrying. So on-chain data from Binance's BNB chain shows that at several times, the token had not actually been backed one-to-one with dollar reserves. Binance, if you remember, had worked with the blockchain infrastructure firm Paxos to kind of manage their BUSD offering. And in particular, they promised the one-to-one backing. This was kind of managed by Paxos. What we've come to learn is 
That is the case, but it only applies to tokens on the Ethereum blockchain. This means that Paxos Promise doesn't actually extend to other chains that BUSD is on, like Binance's own native chain, as much as you would think that would probably be the case. And when you look at the messaging coming out of uh, the Paxos camp, they've clearly been trying to distance themselves a little bit from drama. So a quote from the Paxos team was, the Binance Peg BUSD is strictly a Binance product. It is not issued by Paxos nor regulated by the New York State Department of Financial Services. Somewhat generic statement, but I think it's important just to kind of see here there is a clear separation and Paxos are just managing some of the operations on the Ethereum blockchain. What kind of gets a little more worrying is when you look at Binance itself actually holds 25% of all of its assets, which is an eye-watering $13 billion worth in their BUSD stablecoin. I think one of the reasons why it's made up a, such a large amount has, has been because they convert all other stablecoins on the platform into BUSD automatically. We covered that on the podcast a little earlier last year. And while I think you know, there's not necessarily something specific to worry about here yet. It, it just doesn't fill me with confidence that these kind of errors are being made when quite literally billions of dollars of capital are at stake. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, I mean, I I would say I'm not at the stage where I have every, nothing sitting on Binance. I mean, I'm already, I never do that with any centralized exchange, just holding reasonable amounts of, of, of tokens on an exchange. I, I'm definitely not at the don't use Binance stage yet, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. It's worrying. I don't like reading these headlines. I don't like seeing this data and just hoping that these, uh, what did they call it? This historical operational oversight can be fixed, um, as I'm sure you probably share the same sentiment, Austin. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is wild times at, at Binance right now, right? Uh, of course, we've all heard about the the sort of debacle with uh, what, the Signature Bank, um, their SWIFT, Binance's SWIFT yep. banking partner, uh, sort of shutting down SWIFT uh, trades in USD that are under 100K, that caused a ton of turbulence mm -hmm. in the media for Binance. And I know that a lot of FUD or FUD has kind of been, which also stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt, in case you're not aware. Nobody likes to explain that. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, has been, you know, a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt has been sort of spread about Binance over the course of the past few months. And I mean, so far, like they've kind of held up to it, right? I, I think that's fair to say. Uh, yep. You know, I think that the the expectation when this started to go around, you know, back in what, like uh, November ish, like right mm. after the, the FTX collapse was, oh, gosh, if uh, FUD is going around about Binance, like we could start to see, you know, some nasty shifts pretty quickly. And by and large, Binance has, has held up. I think that these recent developments are probably the most significant challenges that they've faced thus far. So definitely. yeah, definitely. Uh, I think our advice from earlier episodes stands, which is that now is probably not a good time to have your funds 
parked in an exchange, including Binance or even Coinbase, you know? Um, Although our evergreen advice is, hey, not your keys, not your crypto. So if it's not on your wallet, if it's in an exchange, don't consider it to be yours. It's not safe. Agreed. Agreed. So hoping that uh, what kind of transpires from this is, you know, we we get more and more transparency, things turn out to be in a better place and it forces Binance, along with all the other centralized exchanges to take more actions that and feel like they're going to come under more scrutiny. Hopefully it's a good thing. Talking about coming under more scrutiny, why don't we jump <laughs> into the, uh, the next story of the day? BlockFi is currently in bankruptcy proceedings, as we previously covered back in December. Uh, And it has now been revealed through some leaked documents that they had a $1.2 billion exposure to FTX and Alameda Research. Now, this is interesting, uh, and, and we'll get into the details of what those leaks entail. But just in case you're not familiar with the BlockFi situation, let me bring you up to speed really quick here. BlockFi is a crypto lending firm that went bankrupt back on November 28th of last year, 2022. You can check out our December 1st episode for a breakdown of the whole collapse. It was a really interesting unfolding because it was the largest firm to fail in the wake of FTX so far. They had over 300,000 users, over $20 billion in assets under management. And back in 2021, during their Series D, they had a valuation of over $3 billion. So this was a big behemoth in the space to collapse. And actually, it was originally thought that BlockFi did have a pretty sizable exposure to FTX and Alameda. In their uh, original disclosures during their first bankruptcy hearing, they said it was like $1.026 billion exposure, which is pretty large, right? But that number seems to have gone up now. According to these unredacted filings from M3 Partners, which is an advisor to uh, BlockFi's creditor committee as they're going through these bankruptcy proceedings... BlockFi's exposure to FTX and Alameda is actually $1.247 billion. So it went up by like $220 million, <laughs> which I, I know that that like seems like a small number in the in the grand scheme of things now, but it's actually a lot of money. Like Justin Bieber just sold all of his songs, all the, the rights to all, all of his masters for like $200 million. <laughs> so like, come on guys, this is a lot wow. of money. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, all right, uh, what's the breakdown of this? Well, it was $415.9 million in assets with FTX and then $831.3 million in loans to Alameda. And as we covered in our episode back on December 1st, um, those, this was an interesting exchange here where BlockFi was holding assets with FTX. They had loans that they were giving out to Alameda and then FTX was giving, there was like uh, this whole you know, weird sort of uh, back and forth of funds there. But basically, $1.247 billion, that's the exposure that BlockFi had to Alameda and FTX. And apparently, all of these financials were shared by mistake. Uh, it, it seemed like that um, the, the report was not supposed to be released. And it also showed 
a bunch of other interesting stuff. Uh, for example, it showed that the value of these assets, which would be those assets with FTX, and then the loan receivable amount with Alameda, so basically the loan money that was owed by Alameda to BlockFi, their value had been adjusted to zero uh, in this filing. So the assumption... Oh <laughs> Yeah, I guess the assumption being like, we're never going to, you know, really see any of this back. And uh, another thing that's interesting is that BlockFi now has under $1.3 billion in assets. So do the math there. It's not looking mm. very good. Yeah, $668 million of this is noted as being liquid or to be distributed. So like, you know, roughly around half of their assets are in liquid form. Uh, but about half of that liquid, those liquid assets are in cash, and uh, and that's three hundred two million dollars worth. And then three hundred sixty six point seven million dollars is in crypto assets that they would have to sell. Which we all know that you know with these large amounts of crypto assets and and holdings, uh, liquidating them is not the easiest thing to do because you could potentially cause a market crash. Um, what's wild about this is Bloomberg recently reported that BlockFi is going to sell $160 million in loans backed by nearly 68,000 Bitcoin mining rigs. What? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the liquidation uh. process is underway. Um, now, oh, there's, there's a fun twist here, Matt. You may have seen this. So aside from all of this wild stuff that was revealed with the assets and the liabilities and everything like that, during the bankruptcy proceedings, BlockFi has asked the courts for permission to pay retention bonuses to employees. Uh, so basically, these would be bonuses paid to key individuals who are critical to the bankruptcy proceedings that were being lured away with other offers from Google and Coinbase and the like. And these documents revealed that they, they were looking to pay out bonuses to the tune of $12.3 million. And this wow. would represent, yeah. So a lot of money uh, considering like how much they actually have, you know, in, in terms of liquid assets right now. I mean, this isn't nothing. Uh, and th these bonuses would be roughly 20 to 50% of certain employees' annual salaries, and they would be eligible to receive them if they retained until January 31st. Uh, of course, the Committee of Unsecured Creditors pushed back on this and said, quote, the committee does not object in principle to the retention programs. The committee understands the need for certain key employees to be incentivized to stay on and to aid the restructuring effort and preserve value. But every unnecessary dollar paid from these programs diminishes distributions to creditors. And I think that's the real problem here. Like we already have a very, very tight amount of cash uh, you know, that that is retained mm -hmm. by BlockFi to be paying out $12.3 million is a bit of a scary thing. And I mean, at least for me, you know, I, I could see how this would be necessary to keep certain key people on board. Like I could imagine yeah. there being people that if you lose them, it would cost you way more than what the bonus would be to retain them. But, you know, immediately you start to fear abuse that, that could result from this, you know, the, this sort of, I like go back to AIG flashbacks of right, exactly. <laughs> executives taking the, the government bailout and immediately boarding their private jet to Vegas. <laughs> so, it's just not yeah. a good look as well. Like the, the optics in general and yeah, like I get that, you know, this, there's clearly a huge amount of 
need for retaining key members of staff, but just the con the situation, like it's a, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of wild. I don't really know many tech companies uh, at the moment that are giving out bonuses, right? Like th- this is what's kind of crazy. I think about some of this. Yeah, it is. It's wild. Um, Nevertheless, BlockFi's situation will continue to unfold, and I think it's going to be a really interesting one to watch here uh, as you know we start to see the uh, the domino effect of FTX and Alameda in the industry. No doubt. I'm sure we'll be talking about them again soon. All right, let's jump into the wrap-up. Celsius, you know, one of the other bankrupt crypto lenders guess what <laughs> <laughs> they might be launching a token uh which is unbelievable to even hear this but <clears throat> they're reportedly kind of thinking about the launch of a new token which is part of a plan to compensate its creditors if you don't have the money make up some magic internet money to give it back to people. I mean, th- this is kind of wild to me. They wouldn't be the first to explore. So I remember, we, I think we covered this back in 2019 when uh, Bitfinex did this. They launched their Leo token that was basically just to compensate customers after they had some big losses. I, I'm trying to remember what the exact details were, but I think they lost it through some shell company and there was like a billion dollars of lost funds. They basically printed a token and gave that out to people to fill the hole. Um, it seems like Celsius is considering this right now. Uh, I, I have no idea how it's even possible that this can be the case. We're going to follow this. It, nothing yeah. surprises me anymore, Austin. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> who, <laughs> who knows? And on the note of launching tokens, I think one that I am actually excited about, unlike the Celsius token, is with Aave. So we covered the fact, I think this was uh, April or so of last year, Aave were talking about launching a stablecoin GHO. Well, V3 of Aave, which is a much anticipated launch, is set to launch tomorrow, I believe, or maybe in the next few days. And they have said that this paves the way for the GHO stablecoin to launch. And that should follow in the next three weeks or so. TBD on exact timing, but I anticipate a feeding frenzy off the back of that. If there's been anything, and whether this has already kind of been priced in a little bit, but whenever there are stablecoins being launched, there is often a lot of speculation. I think this year is going to be the year of protocols launching their own stable coins. Um, I think it's going to be a consistent theme that we're going to be talking about. And Aave is is one of the first of a few. Uh, I know Redacted Cartel are going to be launching, I think they call it Dinero. Um, there are a whole host of others that are kind of intertwined with the whole liquid staking kind of uh, sector. And then you've got the stablecoin sector alongside this. But it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, I love the Aave team. Stan Kulachev um, uh, and, and co are going to be probably the forefront of the conversation around this. I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Well, from stable coins to <laughs> back to our collapse. <laughs> so, 
All right. Um, so yeah, FTX is continuing to go through its bankruptcy proceedings. And something interesting that has kind of come out of this is that back on uh, Wednesday, uh, financial advisors in the bankruptcy proceeding revealed a complete list of FTX's institutional creditors. Um, and man, Matt, this list was pretty long. It was a, like a document, just a, a list of names of institutional creditors over 100 pages long. Um and yeah, it doesn't include the dollar amounts that are owed, but it does mm. name some pretty big entities. So I, I just want to caveat this a little bit. Like I'm about to list off some big names. We have no idea what their actual exposure is. So I wouldn't, you know, read too far into this, but it is just like interesting to see the web of ties that FTX had, you know, across the globe. Um and also to, you know, potentially like speculate what, what uh, you know, what the involvement might be here. Now, we don't know whether this means that any of these entities were involved in trading or investing or any, it's not really specified, but some of the big entities that were mentioned were Apple, WeWork, hmm. Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> WeWork. <laughs> oh, WeWork. Um, yeah, that's kind of uh, random. I can only imagine yeah. that it's either... They have a venture arm that was like a, uh, an investor or you have these companies maybe using it for custody to hold some kind of crypto. But I, feel I, like was, we would have heard, I feel like we would have heard if Apple had like Bitcoin on its balance sheet, you know, yes. like even, yeah, it, I, it, this is interesting. I, won't, I, I can't think what it would be. I mean, I don't know. Could it be like some something to do even, could it be as benign as like App Store transaction the amounts owed or something like that yeah you Uh, know that's probably right actually and and netflix will probably be that uh sbf bought the entire of uh bahamas a netflix subscription and uh for for all of the for all of the mega mansions that they own over there and uh, now he just owes like a crazy crazy bill there's just a bunch of people in the Bahamas <laughs> just leeching off of Sam's single Netflix account that's being used across like a hundred different places. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's my only that's my only conclusion on that front. Yeah, <laughs> if I were to guess, WeWork is probably actually like leases and stuff like that, right? Yeah, but um, yeah, I think WeWork. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, those are three big names. Uh, telecoms. We've got Comcast on there, banks, Citigroup, Wells Fargo. Uh, of course, crypto space, Coinbase, yeah. Chainalysis, Yuga Labs, Doodles, Silvergate Bank, and then also, uh, in, you know, Venture Capital, Sequoia Capital. We all knew that. Yeah. Um, BlackRock. Uh, randomly, DoorDash was on there. I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> DoorDash. I love yeah. it. They owe tips. I mean, is, yes, exactly. Like, I was thinking, like, is this just, like, tons of DoorDash orders to the it office probably is, you went know. into default or something. It, yeah. it probably is. I bet they had like credit balance. I just feel like that's mm-hmm. the, like FTX would be like a serial DoorDash company, like for sure. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I bet it's something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Here's a fun one. How about the states of Alabama and Wyoming? <laughs> mm. Oh, now that man. is more interesting. Do they have yeah. property there? I don't think. Um, the thing that I think with when I have whenever I see Wyoming, I'm like, okay, there's I know there's a lot of Bitcoin mining operations that happen yes. there. So mm-hmm. I wonder if there was something on that front, maybe. But yeah, yeah. So, I know they'll have stuff with the Bahamas, but Alabama and Wyoming. Oh, I'm not sure. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of the Bahamas, one of the listed creditors is the Bahamas Ministry of Finance. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, again, like I said, a company being included on this list doesn't mean that they like had a trading account with FTX or anything like that. We don't know the level of exposure, but it is wild to see, you know, all of these big names on there. Um, Another thing that was on this list is over 9.6 million customers were listed. All of their names were redacted, of course, Mm. but that number is a lot bigger than like we were originally told. Like Matt, if, if I think back to when the bankruptcy proceedings had started, I think they were talking about, you know, creditors in the neighborhood of 1 million. Mm. Um, So this is a lot, a lot more than that. (laughs) That is a lot Uh, more um, significantly large amount. Um, Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. All right. So from one wild roller coaster ride to another, our favorite, Market manipulator, Avi Eisenberg, we have promised an update on him for quite some time now. I think that now is the time. Give it to me, Austin. What's he up to now? What is he up to? Okay. Well, here's the thing, Matt. Just just in case a few people listening aren't familiar with Avi, which if you're not, you really need to read up on this dude. (laughs) This guy is crazy. Yeah. So back on, I'm just going to start back on October 11th, but actually he has a lot of history prior to this. But, mm-hmm. you know, for our coverage, back on October 11th, Mango Markets was drained of $114 million in a price manipulation exploit. And this was like a huge thing, really wild to see this happen to them. And some really bizarre and interesting tactics were used. It's worth checking out our coverage on this if you missed it. Uh, we we covered the Mango Markets exploit on our October 13th episode. Yeah. At the time, we didn't know who was responsible for this. No. Um, but basically what happened is the attacker manipulated the value of the Mango token and fraudulently converted $114 million worth from uh, Mango Markets depositors into the attacker's own accounts. Fast forward to our episode on October 27th, In our wrap-up, we covered that it turned out that a man named Avi Eisenberg was behind the exploit, and we talked about his role, including the fact that at the time, he was giving some hot tips for crypto trading on Aave. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, it's all an entangled web. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Now, during this time, Avi was posting to Twitter that uh, he, he had taken responsibility for the exploit. And uh, this actually wasn't the first time that he had been involved in a multi-million dollar exploit like this. Uh, yep. He had kind of developed a bit of a track record for this. But I he said Fortress that Fortress he... Dow was one of the other... Well, I think mm-hmm. that was one of the first ones he did. I think he used a load of the funds that he effectively stole from Fortress Dow to fund a load of these bigger plays. But yeah, yeah. one of, one of a yeah. number. Yes, wild guy. Um, but yeah, what's interesting about this one is that it, it had seemed that previously he was kind of, you know, working alone. This time he said he was involved with a team that operated a highly profitable trading strategy. So basically implying that there, there were more people involved. And he said that he believed the exploit was carried out with legal open market actions using the protocol as designed. Okay, so that's basically where we left things off. Um, he had proposed an agreement to the Mango Dow at the time, if you recall, that uh, where basically he offered, and this was a crazy thing, he offered to return most of the funds 
if the Dow promised to repay some bad debt and not pursue criminal investigations. Uh, and he then proceeded to use 32 million votes from the exploit to vote yes on the proposal. Demo- so he kind of- Democracy in action, action there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he kind of forced a yes on this proposal. Since then, he did return $67 million of the total $114 million um, that was taken in the exploit. So that was the end of that. Uh, a bunch of time has gone by since then. And now he's being sued by Mango Labs. And mm. the lawsuit alleges that because the Mango Dow's $10 million insurance fund for attacks like these were insufficient to cover the depositors' losses, the Dow was forced to accept the agreement under duress. So they're not totally like, you know, Mango isn't going after like the criminal angle, angle of this. Yeah. They're just trying to say, hey, you know, we only got $67 million back and, and we, we wouldn't have agreed to that if, uh, you know, if we had any other choice. Like he had the 32 million votes to vote yes on the, the proposal. And then they also didn't have the insurance to cover the loss. They kind of had to go through with this. Um, it seems like, you know, they're, they're going to have a pretty solid case, uh, uh, you know, coming out of this. So that's one development. But even more interestingly, in addition to being sued by Mango Labs, he's facing three other cases brought forth by the DOJ, the CFTC, and the SEC. Just, so a couple, now- just a few little agencies. <laughs> just, you know, yeah. they w- would prefer not to have those three with a target on my back. Um, <laughs> good luck, Avi. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it'll work trio. out for him. Yeah. <laughs> this is like the, the sort of, yeah, crypto criminal trio right here, right? It um, is. Yeah, so the DOJ actually arrested him on December 27th of 2022 on charges of commodities fraud and manipulation. So that's a big one. Then on January 9th, the CFTC indicted him on two counts of market manipulation. And then actually just last week, the SEC filed charges claiming that he violated numerous provisions of the federal securities laws, including certain anti-fraud and anti-market manipulation provisions. So uh, it seems to be the opinion of the SEC that, you know, when Avi said that he was, uh, uh, you know, this exploit was carried out with, quote, legal open market actions using the protocol as designed. Um, in, in, his own, SEC- in his own esteemed opinion, uh, I might yeah. add. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, it seems that the SEC is uh, saying, uh, that would be a no. <laughs> yeah, turns out code is not law, Avi. And unfortunately <laughs> for you, my friend, law is law. And, you know, <laughs> the chickens are coming home to roost, unfortunately for Avi. I, you know, I, I'm going to take great joy in, in watching this unfold. It is... <laughs> just been great to see uh this kind of trifecta of pain in the doj cftc and the sec kind of coming after Ave on top of everything else i think we're going to see a little bit of uh social justice happening here which i welcome <laughs> with open arms i'm sure we'll cover it with with much glee on the podcast absolutely but with even more glee i bring to you a Portugal update. We've waited for oh, so long. Oh, there we long. go. Here we go. The sunshine <laughs> is back. What's going on? Uh, what are they doing now? Well, 
Uh, actually, it's not a very gleeful update, if I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm happy that we have something to say about Portugal. But uh, yeah, everybody. Okay, so Portugal's 2023 state budget has been finalized. There was... Ooh, exciting. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I know. It was we an only cut the fun stuff event. on this podcast, don't we, Austin? <laughs> <laughs> we give the people what they want. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, we will recall that for years, Portugal was one of a few countries in Europe where crypto transactions and capital gains on those transactions were not subject to personal income tax. Well, now, as part of the 2023 state budget, they are subject to personal income tax. In fact, they're subject to a flat 28% capital gains tax. Welcome to what the rest of us have been dealing with, Portugal. (laughs) Reality has thoroughly been brought back down to you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. As the Portuguese might say... Caralho, hermano. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually what they would say, but uh, holy shit, man. Um, that is, that's gnarly. Uh, now, yeah. I will say there is some nuance to this. It's worth checking out the tax code, um, which I, I've got a link here that, that we could uh, drop into the description if you're curious about this. Um, yeah, there, there, you know, there are, uh, the, the flat capital gains tax does apply, but like, say that you're, um, an entity that's working in, in the crypto space, um, and you're dealing with crypto transactions, uh, there actually is a, a separate, uh, tax code for that. Got it. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, uh, our Portugal update is not quite as gleeful as I would have wanted it to be. I think that, you know, the, the sort of, um, tax haven, that Portugal had had uh, come to be known as, that has been uh, brought to an end, and it looks like you know somewhat relatedly, it's kind of reaching the end of its days as a digital nomad hub. Mm. Um, a, a bunch of legal shifts happening in Portugal, and also just you know it kind of being overrun with, um, you know, people that are not. Portuguese or even EU citizens that are working from there and are all sort of like working out of co-working spaces and Airbnbs and everything like that. Like I've been hearing about rents going crazy and yeah. all kinds of uh, stuff. I know there's been, a lot of, there's been a lot of backlash in Portugal around this, especially I think in like Porto and Lisbon. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it feels like that's going to go through a bit of a, an identity shift. And I imagine there will be another European kind of country that comes in to swoop swoop up there um any not speculation sh- Estonia? Not sure. so, well maybe you know it, i think it's like there's there's really big crypto-based communities that are springing up across europe paris being one that's really growing but they're not going to put tax breaks in place for, <laughs> uh you know you crypto the french aren't gonna <laughs> right <laughs> you know there's just not gonna ever happen in france right and i think the same same can be kind of said for uh, London. That's it's not going to happen. I know the UK is trying to bring crypto more uh, more here. We'll be talking a little bit more about what the the UK government are planning uh, and the Bank of England in particular around a uh, GBP stable um, central bank digital currency soon. But we'll save that for another time. But yeah, I'm unsure. I wonder if places like Malta and stuff like that that mm-hmm. already kind of operate like that. We'll, we'll do this kind of thing but yeah like you've got 
maybe Medellin, but it's, of course, it's so much further away from Europe. It's just not probably that easy to swoop people up. But if you're kind of capturing the, the US expats, maybe uh, that might happen. But yeah, we'll see. I know, but Medellin I think has been, Medellin has definitely been a hub, but there they are. Colombia is going through through some political shifts that will <laughs> probably threaten. <laughs> yeah, uh, will probably threaten its sort of business friendly uh, status. But I think that something you you're on to there, Matt, is that like you know the case against an Estonia is, is an obvious one, a very human one, which is bad weather. You know. Yeah. And uh, something that Portugal has had going for it is just that incredible weather and so that makes me think okay like you've got you know mediterranean coastline like what wh- what are you working yeah. with spain malta greece croatia i don't mm-hmm. know man um yeah definitely yeah could be could be a host i know malta is already a favorite for the uh uh those looking to pay less tax uh let's just say so yeah, yeah probably feels like they're well positioned we'll keep a track we still love you portugal we're still going to talk about you don't worry uh you'll you'll remain <laughs> uh in a special place on the podcast so that we can get some yeah. updates. All right, Austin. So we'll we'll wrap it up there. I'm sure we're going to have plenty of updates, whether that's with our old friend Avi or whether it's with Binance or BlockFi or Celsius. So, you know, I don't think we're going to be short of things to talk about next week. Until then. Looking forward to it, Matt. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.